in the course of my life and faith and journey, anytime I'm not quite sure where I'm going, I often go to the Psalms. And because of that, if you look at my Bible, you'll find that the uh, center of the Bible, which is where you find the book of Psalms, is probably worn out more than most of the rest of, of my Bible because I often don't know where I'm going. And so I find myself in the Psalms again and again. I've adopted kind of that same practice. You know, we do a lot of uh, pre series preaching in our church. So we start, you know, kind of a, on a focus point and we work through that for six or eight weeks. But whenever I don't have like the next series ready to go or there's a, a break in the schedule, I always go back to the Psalms. And so I'm taking us back there again this morning to uh, this morning to Psalm 147. Uh, it's printed on the first page there on the left-hand side of the notes if you're following there. If you don't have that, you can open it up uh, your Bible uh, to Psalm 147. And uh, I'll be uh, reading a lot from the text. I think there's some things in here that um, you might like to, to make note of just for your own um, personal edification. I call um, the Psalms faith in the trenches. The, the, the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, is really the story of how God has acted on behalf of his people and how he has spoken to us through his prophets over the ages. It's God's word to us. But the Psalms are, in large part, people talking back to God. People saying, God, you said this, and this is what is happening. Show me how this fits together. Or, God, you said this, and it isn't happening. Why isn't it happening? It's faith in the trenches. It's, it's life being lived out in real time, in real space, in real lives, in, in pretty profound ways. This morning, Psalm 147 First and last words of the psalm are, praise the Lord. Psalm 147, verse 1, praise the Lord. The last words, praise the Lord. The context of the psalm is that the exiles of Israel are coming home. Hundreds, actually decades prior to, they had been conquered by the Babylonians, driven out of their homeland, sent into exile, and for 70 years they had been refugees. Now they're coming home. I was gone for two weeks, and I came home, and I can't tell you how happy I was to climb back into my bed. Right After two weeks, just my bed, because my our families have great accommodations for us, but they're like, uh, I think, smaller than a queen-size bed. And I'm just kind of used to being sprawled out and not touching anyone. And that doesn't happen in a smaller bed. So just climb, right? And so think about what it'd be like to be away from home for a long period of time, unable to get back. Today, there are 35 million refugees in the world, 62 million people internally displaced from their homes. In Ukraine, 8 million refugees, 6 million people internally displaced, people who can't go home. Think about that when you think about what it is. The context of the psalm is people coming back home, 
coming back to their place of comfort, coming back to their place of security. And the joy of that is what is provoking this response of the psalmist to praise the Lord. Praise him for what? The psalmist says, praise him because God is great. Because he's great. Verse 4, he determines the number of the stars and he calls them each by name. Verse 8, he covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain and makes grass grow on the hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. Verse 16, he spreads the snow like wool and scatters the frost like ashes. He hurls down his hail like pebbles. Who can withstand his icy blasts? He sends his word and melts them. He stirs up his breezes and the waters flow. Verse 5, his understanding has no limit. God is great. And he just stops and he looks around at all of creation, all the wonder and awe of everything that God has made. It's like, this is incredible. God is awesome. God is great. Praise the Lord. But God isn't just great. He isn't just all-powerful. He doesn't just put the stars in the sky and, and make the rain flow from the heavens. The God in his greatness is good. That he's using his greatness to restore his people. Verse 2, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He strengthens the bars of your gates and blesses your people within you. He grants peace to your borders and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. Verse 3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He sustains the humble and deals with the wicked. Israel says, he's cut us in on his greatness and on his goodness. He has revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. He's done this uniquely. He's poured out his blessing and his goodness. The greatness is there for everyone to see. But his people, his beloved Receive it in a very unique, in a very personal, healing, restorative way. Praise the Lord because God is great and God is good. But in the middle of this psalm, the psalmist reveals not just God's greatness or God's goodness, but God's very best. His pleasure, verse 10, is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Who put their hope in his unfailing love. At any given moment in my life, I can come up with a hundred ways that I've blown it or that I'm blowing it now or that I will blow it in the future. Like I can stop at any, just any moment and come up with the easy, come up with a hundred ways that I have messed things up, am messing things up, or am sure to mess things up in the future. How can I know? And if you're like me, 
and you have the same propensity towards blowing it, how can you know that you are good with God? How do we know that we're secure, that we're safe, that we're okay? Is the goal of our lives to make him happy? To, to try our very best to do the things that he wants us to do, to live the way that he wants us to live, to be all the things that he wants us to be. Do more good things, plus do less bad things, equal get closer to God. Is that the way that we make God happy? I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? God's done all these, created the heavens and the earth. He's done all these wonderful things for us. He sent Jesus to save us. Isn't it like an appropriate response to go, okay, God, I used to blow it, but now I'm not going to blow it anymore. I'm going to do more good things and less bad things so that we can be tight. But, but when is enough enough? When is the good that we do good enough to make us okay with God? I often think of this scene in the movie, it's an old movie, Saving Private Ryan, where Captain John Miller is sent with a team of people to rescue Private Ryan because his three brothers have been killed in combat, and the command doesn't want the fourth son to die. So they send this group to go and rescue him. And Captain John Miller leads his crew in. They find Private Ryan. And before they are able to extricate him, many of the team, including John Miller, are killed in combat. And there's this scene at the end of the movie where John Miller is dying and he's talking to Private Ryan who is now being rescued and is going to go home, be restored to his mom, and he says to him, John Miller to Private Ryan, earn this. Earn it. I gave my life for you. I sacrificed my life. These men died for you. Live your life in, a, in such a way that you deserve what we did for you. And I can't imagine what kind of burden that would be. How do you know that, you, that you've ever done enough? The result of a faith that is lived to make God happy is failure. It's disappointment. Shame, it's discouragement, it's resignation. If the goal is to make God happy, to do enough to please him, to counterbalance the, the, the blow-its, can we even have a life with God? God's best. God's best is his unfailing love. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. You want to make God happy? 
You want God to rejoice over you? Psalm 147, 147 says, trust, trust that he is already happy with you. Trust that he already delights in you. And that trust is what makes God happy. Not your capacity or our ability to do the right things, but to trust his love regardless of whether we're blowing it or not. Trust his love. Trusting God, the psalm says, pleases God. Trusting God makes God happy. In Hebrews, the author writes, without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Trusting God opens the door to grace. Trusting God says, I don't need to do anything to get closer to God because I'm already with God and God is already with me. I don't need to to strive to become anything because I already am everything. The, The psalmist talks about, it begins with this celebration of the exiles coming back to Jerusalem. But he's, he's actually reaching beyond coming back to their hometown, to the joy of coming back to communion, coming back to fellowship, coming back to connection with God. To trust God with who you are. Not who you wish you would be, not who you think you ought to be, not the best person you know, the best version. To trust God with who you are. To trust God with where you are in your journey. Right now, today. You, you might think you should be farther along in your journey. You might think you ought to have arrived better, accomplish more, be holier by now. Pleasing God. Trusting God with who you are and where you are today and with and as you are right now. Paul writes, if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, while we were in our worst day and deepest darkness, greatest pit, the worst version of ourselves, actually in rebellion against God. He loved us then, sent his son to die for his sin, sacrificed his blood for the forgiveness. Then, at our worst moment, having been reconciled now, how much more shall we be saved through his life? We cannot just trust God with who we are and where we are, as we are, but Paul says we can trust God too with who we are going to become. The the one who began a good work in you, the one who started to do a new thing in you is going to bring it to completion. I I read a couple weeks ago, this seems like something I ought ought to have known, 
but I, but I didn't. Maybe you do. If you didn't, you're going to be very, you know, you're going to be happy that you know too, and, and it's going to be great to be reminded. Did you know that if you took a caterpillar to a scientist and said, hey, tell me at the scientific level what you find in this caterpillar. By every test that a scientist would by run, all the way down to the DNA of the caterpillar, by every measure except for appearance, that caterpillar is a butterfly. Before the transformation takes place, before the whole cocoon thing and the breaking out, before the caterpillar is already a butterfly at the very essence of its being. You were created in the image and likeness of God, a reflection of his glory. That's what Jesus came to reclaim. That's what Jesus came to restore. And when he said on the cross, it is finished, that's what was finished today for you as you are in Christ, in Jesus' name. And God is partnering with us now then to live into our identity, working in our lives as we trust in his unfailing love to take us through the process of transformation from caterpillar into butterfly. When all the essence of our holiness is already imparted to us and within us. The psalm gives us some cues on coming home. Not just to our hometown, but to our communion and our fellowship with God, to our identity as his sons and daughters coming home. It begins with first cue. Review God's resume. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. These are all the things that God is doing in the psalmist's life. And he doesn't just limit his review to the current circumstances, right? This is what I see God doing right now or maybe not doing he opens up the book and says, okay, not just in the moment, but in the grand scheme, in the bigger picture, he determines the number of stars. He calls them each by name. He sustains the humble. He covers the sky with clouds. He provides food for the cattle. He strengthens the bars of your gates. He grants peace to your borders. He sends his command to the earth. He spreads the snow like wool. He hurls down the hail like pebbles. He stirs up freezes, and the waters flow. The psalmist does a review of God's act activity. What is, what is God up to? And what, he, what you find is that God is doing all of the doing. So do your own review. What is God doing? 
And I challenge you to not just stop with your moment that you're living in today, but open up the book to the big picture, all the way back to creation and the beauty and the awe and the wonder. the gift of your life, the, the joy that people celebrated your coming into the world, every breath that you have taken, every meal that you have eaten, every sacred holy moment, every vacation that you've been on, every day that you've been able to go to work and do something that contributed to the world, Every, every time that you've gathered with a gather, group of friends and, and broke bread and, and laughed. Review God's activity in your life. And try on trust. Try it on. The psalm says it's fitting, it's pleasant for us to praise God. It's pleasant for us to praise God. It says it's pleasant to God for us to trust him. Hope in God's unfailing love is the ultimate expression of worship. Hope in God's unfailing love Trusting his love more than anything else. Trusting that it will never fail is the ultimate expression of worship. And the faith that I grew up in, in the Christian, um, in the Reformed Church, we have um, a document called the Heidelberg Catechism. It's a, it's a teaching tool, an instruction tool to help people grow in their understanding of the faith. And the first question of the answer of the Heidelberg Catechism, catechism like the, the foundation of the faith is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Where's the security? Where is your peace? And the answer is, my only comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That God delights in those who discover that not only is there his love their only hope, that it is an unfailing love, that it is a sure hope. What if what if I trusted God's unfailing love? What is it today that's haunting you? What is it today that you're staring in the face of and you don't know where it's going or how it's going to turn out? And just ask yourself, what if in this thing that kept me awake last night or that, that every time I stop for a moment that I'm, that I'm going a million miles an hour so I don't have to think about it, frustration, disappointment, fear, anxiety, what if you just stopped and paused for a second and said, what would it mean if I trusted God's unfailing love 
here. Just don't do it yet. Just ask yourself what it would mean. How would that feel? What would that look like? How would that free you up to, to, to live life in a different posture, to do a different thing? Just try it on. Say, okay, maybe I, I don't necessarily believe it, but, but, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act like I believe it. I'm going to live like I believe it. For, for an hour, for a day, try it on for a week, what would it mean? If you're completely trusted, not in all areas of your life, hey, let's just start with one, with this one area, to trust that God's love will not fail you. Review God's actions. Try on trust. Taste and see, the psalm says, that the Lord is good. I love that. Taste it. Taste it. See how it tastes. Praise the Lord. This psalm says, how good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. He says that it is good to praise God. It's a good thing to do. It's good that you came this morning. It's pleasant, and it fits. It's how you were made. It's how you were designed. So to put on praise is to live into like the best-fitting outfit, the comfort, the security of that. I've told you before, um, that, and the day is coming close. I'm going to uh, the Taylor Swift concert when she comes to L.A. And uh, I'm going not because I'm, I'm necessarily a Taylor Swift fan. I'm not a hater, but I'm just not like... That's like she's just in a different genre of, and, and place in life. And, and like, so for me to go to like, um, to come to church on a Sunday morning... And, and um, participate in worship and the songs and, and to sing and, and to raise my hands and to dance. And, like, that, that just comes natural. I can go to, like, a, a, a Christian concert, a Hillsong concert, a Michael W. Smith concert, and in that context, you know, like, I can do all the, uh, like, it, it, it fits. And my, my daughters are trying to help me get ready for the Taylor Swift concert, right? They're, they've, like, made me a playlist of all the songs that, that are a part of the tour so I can become more familiar with a lot of the music. And, and I, can, I can, like, you know, sway to the beat a little bit. And, and I, you know, some of the words are, are like, okay, I get that. And, and I could see how if I was, you know, a 20-something or a 30-something, you know, that the songs are, like, at, at, that, at that stage of life and... and Right? There's a part of that, like, I'm just, I'm kind of nervous sometimes, like, this is not going to fit. Because it's not, right? And, and, and I, if I stop and think about it too long, I can be a little nervous. Like, I'm just getting, what am I going to do there? How am I going to act? But you know what does fit? 
And I'm so grateful for this. I'm still awed by this, that my daughters have invited me to go with them. They're not actually, they didn't like say, oh my gosh, dad, are you killing me? You're going to do this? We're going to be so embarrassed. Like, they've invited me to come. And what fits is being a part of my daughter's joy. And when I think about that, I think this is going to be a great experience. It fits. When we know how great God is and how good God is, and at the very best of what God is and who God is and what God does, is he loves. And it does not quit. And it will never let go. And in that love, no matter how many times you've blown it, no matter how many times you blow it today, no matter what lies in the future, nothing can separate you from that unfailing love. And he loves you just as you are. And you might, for all the world, look like a caterpillar today and feel like a caterpillar today and be flying, crawling like a caterpillar today. But all the DNA is there. You will fly. You will be transformed into his glorious image for all eternity. And in that context, praise fits like a glove. Lord, thank you that um, we have these words that have been preserved over thousands of years that remind us that at your very best, what you most are and most want us to know about you is that your love never quits, that your love never fails, that your love never lets go. In Jesus' name, I pray today that we might be drawn by your Spirit more fully into our understanding of the greatness of that love and more deeply into the security of that love and more confidently into the future that that love assures us of. Pray in Jesus' name.